All right. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am, of course, your host, Catherine. This is Straight Talking English, the podcast that guides you through analysis, context, and just talks about some cool stuff about the GCSE books. STR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.com. And the full context of Jekyll and Hyde is available very, very close to you via Amazon. Just search Context Jekyll and you have a fab, fab, fab book which I have written. Of course, the second book will be on Christmas Carol. That should be out quite soon, fingers crossed. So while I am walking walking you through the other characters, the more minor characters today, bear in mind that I am using part of my draft, so you are getting a sneaky sneak peek into my latest book. Let's get started by talking about the girls, Belle and Mrs Cratchit. Neither of them come up very much, to be honest. This is such a Scrooge-centric book. So Dickens, he just can't write women. He just can't. I mean, look at this description of Fred's wife. She was very pretty, exceedingly pretty, with a dimpled, surprised-looked capital face, a ripe little mouth that was made to be kissed. No doubt it was. All kinds of good little dots about her chin that melted into one another when she laughed, and the sunniest pair of eyes you ever saw in any little creature's head. Although she was what you call provoking, you know, but satisfactory. Oh, perfectly satisfactory. Well, I have literally no idea what this woman looks like, except pretty and acceptable. Dickens is kind of... He plays on... Is it like he writes stuff for female readers by making his women so uncontroversial that it's seen as appropriate reading for everyone? Or is it what he actually thinks? A lot of his influence comes from this poem by a guy called Coventry Patmore, published in 1854, called The Angel in the House. And that's kind of like a short version of this trope. It proclaims the virtue of a submissive and domestic wife. Enjoy this, ladies. This is what you should be doing, apparently. Man must be pleased, but him to please is women's pleasure. Down the gulf of his condoled necessities, she casts her best, she flings her herself. How often flings for naught and jokes her heart to an icicle or whim, whose each impatient word provokes another, not from her but him, while she, too gentle even to force his penitence by kind replies, waits by expecting his remorse, with pardon in her prying eyes, pitying eyes, oh god I was like prying eyes, that's bad, as if he once by shame oppressed a comfortable, a comfortable word confers, she leans and weeps against his breast and seems to think the sin is hers, or any eye to see her charms at any time she's still his wife dearly devoted to his arms she loves with love that cannot tire and when ah woe she loves alone though passionate duty love springs higher as grass goat grows taller round a stone (gasps) Ah! is this about his wife Catherine Apparently, he did not want a wife who compelled his imagination. He wanted that was someone like Fluffy. If we take Mrs. Cratchit first, this Victorian image of a home that has warmth, harmony, this domestic woman, and Mrs. Cratchit runs around 
like a blue bottomed fly putting everything together seemingly unflappably that represents success despite the fact that bob cratchit's skin he is still successful and mrs cratchit's presence serves to show that actually bob has what's most precious in life and scrooge can see that actually he is not successful because he does not have it. He uses this image quite a lot in his books, by the way. Dickens draws a contrast between these lovely homes and if someone's bad, they have a cold home. It kind of becomes a link to being virtuous as well. If you're a virtuous man, if you're a good man, you have that perfect home. If you're a bad man, in some way immoral, you do not. And Scrooge and the readers know this. They can see, oh, Scrooge must be a bad guy. Ugh. Well, ironically, Dickens was as well. Because fairly soon, he, well, about 11 years after writing this, he dumped his wife and was living with a very young actress. She was 18, he was 45. Is that okay? No. So Dickens himself had crushed this, but by this point he had this celebrity reputation where it kind of just weathered it all. Let's talk about Belle, though. Beautiful Belle, who dumps Scrooge because he is so obsessed with money. Her issue is that she is a dowerless girl. The dowry is a amount of money given to the groom by the bride's family when they get engaged. So it's set him up in life. So Scrooge is missing out. He, I read somewhere the size of the dowry was expected to be in direct proportion to the groom's social status, thus making it virtually impossible for lower class women to marry into upper class families. If a woman's family were too poor to afford a dowry, the economic circumstance may have ever forbidden her from marrying. One of the few options might be to become a mistress to a richer man who could afford to support a large household, or sometimes wealthier parishioners might provide dowries for poor young women of good reputation as a form of charity. Overall, dowries were a significant consideration for the marriage opportunities for daughter and the marriage choices of a young gentleman. So by not bringing the money in, she's dragging him down socially. He will be considered a member of the hated quote-unquote poor because she will ruin his social status. This, and the fact that she's in mourning dress, so she is bereaved. So someone's died she's not have been able to access the money that she thought and now she can't marry the man she loves like poor old Belle. but she's also a good guy she has the opportunity she could have asked scrooge to be his mistress and said you marry someone else but i'll be your girlfriend but because she's so good she knows that by having that kind of role she will be a quote-unquote fallen woman and therefore totally irredeemable Belle plays by the rules and she does the right thing even though it hurts her but then we see Belle looking a little bit happier she's got this family she is happy because she has children she is happy without the money she is happy because she's got this domestic ideal which signifies virtue and scrooge doesn't harsh there are women that read dickens's books but what victorian girl's doing 
quite a lot of them, is giving to charity and involvement in charity. There's so much that girls are doing. Women made up 69% of the subscribers by 1900 to the RSPCA. They directed charitable energies. They became part of the first charitable attempts that turned into modern social work. By making the women in the book so good, making his action, his attitude towards the charity collectors, the portly gentlemen, so awful, that's galvanising the female readership, that's galvanising the women who are doing this. So Dickens has this like connection to the feminine, not only using his women characters to show how bad Scrooge is and how good other people are, but also to get the readerships back up because the girls are involved in charity. Let's talk about another real character. Let's move on from the girls. Let's go to Tiny Tim. Oh, poor Tiny Tim. God bless us, everyone. I I find him nauseating, to be honest. He's saccharine and it upsets me. So Tiny Tim is, of course, a disabled child. It's believed he has a combination of TB and rickets. Rickets is caused by a lack of minerals in the bones, poor diet, lack of seeing the sun to be honest. Um, It's really common among the poor at this point. Inspired of course by Dickens's nephew, a young man called Harry Burnett Jr. He had a fragile hold on life, he was crippled and Apparently this kid had a habit of saying things that were incredibly mature for his age. People didn't realise though that TB was infectious at this point. We're still in the point in history where it's bad air, it's miasma. And Tiny Tim's TB would not have been fully explored. It also has this like weird romantic connotation. That's what Shelley suffered from, you know, the consumptive hero, the poet lying on his bed. Again, this links in a little bit to Jekyll and Hyde because that's what Lewis hoped he had, so it'd make him cooler. <laughs> but it presents this like nice impression of Tiny Tim. He doesn't have leprosy or something that people won't find appealing. The fact he dies is sadly quite relatable. A lot of Victorian families would lose a child. TB counted for about 60,000 deaths a year. That is relatable, unfortunately. Including a disabled character is a little bit of a bold move. You'd sort of be expected like if you were disabled to just sort of sit there and like not be able to do anything economically or socially but but tiny tim could possibly grow up to be independent that's what makes him a little bit different that said though tiny tim doesn't really have the opportunity or the option of refusing any potential charity um so it's kind of a little bit demeaning he's kind of problematic as well as me disliking him very very close though to dickens's london house which is the charles dickens museum which i hugely recommend 
is Thomas Bernardo's London residence. Bernardo's is, of course, still going today. Fantastic charity. But where it was first set up was like about 10 minutes walk away. He must have been aware of it. There's no way he couldn't. I mean, I'm sure you're aware of places that are 10 minutes walk away from your house. Maybe not all of them. But if it was massive, yeah. He, Thomas Bernardo, set up the home for specifically poor children of all abilities and all health he did not segregate able and disabled children he believes that the presence of a child maimed for life or marked by some serious deformity draws out only kind deeds and gentle thoughts the big thing he did though was he taught these poor kids with a mixture of abilities a trade he taught them how to earn their living nice i absolutely absolutely approve of this like you know give a man a fish and all that he blooming set these people up and that's that's what tiny tim is he's hope okay he can only achieve his potential if we the reader or rich people change their ways blah 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 like either he's gonna make it or he's gonna die it's fairly stark but tiny tim is the potential that's all around us like don't write people off that said the whole like god bless us thing ugh ugh no 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 Let's talk about Fred. Fred is, well, Fred is pretty closely based on a real person, actually. Fred, much like Bob Cratchit, based on members of Dickens's family. Fred is mostly based on Dickens's brother, Fred. And like many, many people in Dickens's family, Fred had financial problems. His creditors his debtors i always get that wrong round. the people who he owed money to knew he was the brother of the famous writer so the bills would go to charles's house it's just oh it's just such an awkward situation he'd got on really well with fred fred had been a great babysitter charles used to pick him up from school Fred is kind of the beneficiary of Charles's efforts. They had a massive falling out. And if you can imagine the wealthier brother talking to the skint brother due to being too extravagant, it gives all Scrooge and Fred's lines a little, uh, a little bit of an edge. What's Christmas time to you but a time for paying bills without money? A time for finding yourself a year old and not an hour richer? A time for balancing your books and having every item in them through a dozen, round dozen of months presented dead against you? God, you can imagine Charles having a go at Fred. Dickens apparently could turn on someone very quickly. He would go from being happy, happy, happy to just no. And I could imagine him rounding and saying that. Then you've got Fred, Fred who'd been so lovely, saying, it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, but I believe it has done me good and will do me good. And I say, God bless it. Yeah, yeah, that does sound like a guy who's like, money means nothing to me, but I'm going to put it all on credit. Oh, Fred, no. So I used to have this flatmate who, whenever he'd get drunk, 
he would say, money means nothing to me. I don't care about money. And then he'd take notes out of his pocket and try and burn them to prove how much he didn't care about money. But the thing is, he'd never remember doing it the next day. So when he was drunk, I knew he would do this and I'd keep a watch out. And I'd take the note out his hand and say, I do it, I don't care either, and then just keep the notes. Next day, he'd come back and I'd leave the pile on the dining room table and be like, I'll save you from yourself, mate. <laughs> I just wish I didn't have to keep doing that. That was quite a long, quite a long year with that guy as my flatmate. Bless it. Let's talk about Bob, our good friend, Bob Cratchit. Bob is allegedly based on Charles Dickens's dad, John Dickens. Lovely, 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 but no concept of money. Dickens is quite like functional with Bob Cratchit. Bob is lovely yeah but we know nothing about him he's just a man with a job and a family he's mild describing him as part of this perfect family is like just going with this agenda of humanizing the poor look at bob he's so nice he's poor the poor are nice he's kind of a like a cardboard cutout but he's so perfect he's so nice And it brings in this Malthusian thing again. There's a lot of kids. There's six of them. According to Malthus, they would be the surplus population. There's poor, there's a lot of them. A bunch of them aren't earning. So do you want Bob Cratchit and his family to die? No. Well, you'd better change your economic viewpoint. And it's all just just coming back to this... But they are what's called the deserving poor. So it's fine to be poor if you work really, really hard and you can't make ends meet. That's fine. You're the undeserving poor, according to the Victorians, if you're poor because you're unemployed, because you're alcoholic, because you're homeless. That makes you the bad kind of poor people. But the Cratchits are the good It comes straight after, when we meet the Cratchit, straight after this whole long, long, long scene about all the nice food there is in London. But none of that great stuff is coming to the Cratchits. It's not because of scarcity, because Dickens has made this massive point, there's so much food, but it's the result of Scrooge. The way they live is Scrooge. (laughs) I mean, kick him in the head. The fact they have a turkey is interesting as well because goose is very, very old-fashioned. Goose is unfashionable. Turkey is fashionable. This is Scrooge giving them the gift of fashion. He's participating in society. He's consuming trends and fashion. And he's giving that gift to the poor. I never noticed this, actually, till researching this book. There's a theme of food the whole way through. Scarcity, food. The fact that the turkey is twice as big as Tiny Tim, it shows, like, consumption. Physical consumption 
representing economic consumption can solve everything if you just consume a bit more. Like, honestly, I have to take this book as a product of its time, but sometimes I'm just like, look, I mean, we as consumers consume a lot. Like, is this a good thing? Should we? Should we not make do? No, right, 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 cool. Um, We have one more character to talk about, which is Jacob Marley, the very, very ghostly and punished Marley. He is genuinely quite creepy because he shows up, he undoes his bandage holding his face together and his jaw falls off. Like, that's unnecessarily gross. Marley, of course I'm just pointing this out to be even more grim, Marley is not redeemed. Marley is still doomed to walk the earth forever. He offers Scrooge this lifeline with nothing in it for himself and he is still doomed like great marley shows up as a prisoner he is chained with the chains he forged in life of money and accounting boxes and prisons were a thing that dickens was obsessed with this is kind of hmm this is him bringing in his criticism of prisons as well dickens hated the idea of solitary confinement and he'd just show up to prisons and like interview people and like make a big deal out of everything (gasps) and he had an issue with a lot of the prison system marley is an imprisoned character so is this another sneaky criticism coming in is marley a biblical thing my next question the writer devito who i refer to quite a lot talks about the biblical story of jacob's ladder after being estranged from his mother father and brother jacob returns to his homeland seeking reconciliation especially with his brother esau he was alone at that time hoping to find peace with god the night before their family's reunion that night in the dark he wrestled with what he thought was a man until the break of day as the light broke jacob could see the shadow he'd been wrestling with and Jacob insisted the man bestow a blessing on him the man revealed himself to be an angel the angel then blessed Jacob and gave him the name Israel meaning one who wrestled with God so we have these like connotations of redemption of divine intervention of trial then blessing i mean i debated this last episode dickens wasn't that religious but some people do believe this is a deep link to christian theology make up your own mind totally up to you but i mean potentially marley is a divine figure one thing we can prove <laughs> is it's another thing which he robbed from a real person is the name. This historian called Barry West found out in 2017 that Dickens had nicked the name Marley from a guy called Dr. Miles Marley who went to a party with Charles Dickens. Dickens said to this guy Marley, by the end of the name, you, by the end of the year, your name will be a household word. Yeah, <laughs> just rob things, Charlie D. Just rob them. He also went through the Marley Tunnel every time he went down to Cornwall. Did he get it from there? I don't know. 
But it's the first bit where it signifies that this is not going to be a standard Christmas story. Dickens was competing with this like cottage industry of little Christmas books for children. He's making it clear as soon as Marley shows up that this is not your standard book for children. It goes to such pains in the first paragraph to be like, Marley was dead, yes, Marley was dead, totally dead, yes, Marley was dead. And he makes it clear that Marley and Scrooge are interchangeable. As soon as he shows up, we know things aren't right and it gives us the potential for more supernatural coming in. I just wish that Marley did get redeemed because I feel like it's a bit of a kick in the teeth after he went to all of that effort. But apparently not. In the same way that Fred didn't go to Scrooge's funeral, there's some jerks in this book. Right, thank you very, very much for listening. Next time, I'm going to be talking to you about reactions. Christmas Carol made a massive loss financially. Is it a nostalgic book? Is it an economic book? Why are people so obsessed with it? I don't know, but I'm going to tell you next time. Wait, I do know it's just my show notes book is sitting by my feet. I will tell you next time. Have a lovely, lovely week. I will speak to you soon. STR Rate Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkingenglish.com. Buy my book, The Full Context of Jekyll and Hyde. You will enjoy it. And keep your eyes peeled for book two. Thank you very, very, very much. I'll speak to you soon.